You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we decided to focus on one of the most eagerly awaited changes in the history of the Ethereum project, which is its migration from the existing proof-of-work mechanism to a proof-of-stake-based consensus mechanism. The event is termed as the merge and is anticipated to happen around September 15th. So before we look at what the merge is and how it will happen, Let's quickly take a look at why the merge is important and the problem that it looks to solve. So uh, we know that one of the biggest criticisms of Bitcoin, Ethereum or other proof of work based cryptocurrencies has been the wastage of electricity that results from running large scale mining equipments. While the proponents of proof of work mining would say that that is a price that we need to pay in order to have a decentralized currency that is free from control by central banks and other government forces. The fact remains that proof-of-work consensus also brings with it a limit on the number of transactions that the network can process at any given time. So while the merge itself is not going to increase the transactions per second in any significant way, it is the first in a series of many changes planned for Ethereum, which would eventually lead to a much higher TPS of 80 or 100,000 or so compared to the existing 15 to 20 transactions per second. So without going into too much detail, let's quickly have a refresher of how proof of work and proof of stake are different from each other. In a proof of work system, all the mining nodes in the network compete to solve a cryptographic puzzle by solving a mathematical problem. More the processing power or mining power that your node has, greater the chances that you would win the block reward. In contrast, a proof-of-stake mechanism does not involve any computers using mining equipment to solve cryptographic puzzles. Rather, they use a system of validating transactions, wherein the greater the stake you have, the higher your chances of winning the block reward. So, to give some context as to the migration of Ethereum from proof-of-work to proof-of-stake-based system, This has always been seen as a very necessary and important step for the Ethereum network. So instead of doing it in just one go, the community decided to do it slowly over a period of two years. Back in 2020, a new chain called the Beacon Chain was launched to run on the proof-of-stake mechanism. And the idea was to test out the chain in production over a period of two years to make sure that it is stable and secure before transitioning the existing chain to the new proof-of-stake consensus mechanism. So when we talk about the merge, we are actually talking about the existing Ethereum chain merging with the Beacon chain. One point uh, I do want to mention is that one of the other reasons why this slow transition over a period of two years was planned was to give the miners and other users in the network enough time to stake their ETH to become a validator node. So in, in the new POS system, as we know, you need to stake 32 ETH to become a validator node. And uh, as of recording this episode, 
the beacon chain has over 400,000 validators spread across the globe. So uh, we can safely say at this point that the network is sufficiently decentralized and secure before the upcoming merge with the existing chain. Also, one of the other advantages that is seen with this migration to a proof of stake system is that since you do not need any fancy mining equipment to become a validator in the network, uh, it kind of takes away the monopoly from larger companies with bigger mining rigs and stuff and uh, allows any person with sufficient amount of ETH to become a validator. So uh, this in turn is seen as another factor which helps the network become more decentralized. So uh, with all said and done, looks like the merge is planned for September 15th, which is just a few days away. And uh, we know that Ethereum sort of has a history of having delays in reaching their milestones. But uh, Nikhil, what do you think? Uh, do you think Ethereum is all set to merge as planned? Yeah, well, uh, let's take that September 15th number as well. I think uh, there have been various other dates also thrown around. I think September 19th was the one that I heard last uh, last time I uh, checked. So, uh, yeah, all said and done, it is, it is definitely not set in stone if the developers feel uh, uncomfortable doing the merge they probably will delay it all said and done uh, one thing you mu we, we must realize is that uh, this is the second largest blockchain platform out there uh, there is a pretty large amount of money at stake out here so it kind of uh, behooves them to be a bit deliberate and uh, conservative in their approach. Having said that, it is also clear that the longer they delay doing this, the more people are going to go to other chains, right? Because we have now got other chains also using the EVM and there are alternatives available to developers, uh, though they are not as big uh, or as well protected, let's say, uh, as Ethereum. But uh, you know, the longer it becomes uh, delayed, uh, the less confidence that developers will have uh, regarding the future of the Ethereum blockchain. So before we go into discussing how the merge will exactly happen, uh, let's just have a quick overview of the various stakeholders in the Ethereum ecosystem that would be affected by the merge and uh, maybe have a quick discussion on what kinds of changes can be expected for the community as a whole. So like you mentioned, Nikhil, the more this gets delayed, the more is the incentive for the developers to jump to other chains, you know, which may not be as protected and as developed as Ethereum, but, you know, there's plenty of competition out there. So uh, I would, I guess, start off with uh, talking about the miners. Sure. You know, with the merge, the network will move to a proof of stake system. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with all the existing mining equipment. Will the miners sell it off for... Will they deploy it to mine on other existing proof-of-work blockchains like uh, Bitcoin or Litecoin or something else? Uh, and uh, I mean, th there's been a speculation as to whether the miners will move to the Ethereum Classic chain to mine ETC. Uh, but again, the question to ask there is whether it will be worth the resources to mine on a chain which has far lesser developer activity and therefore much lesser people using that blockchain. So. Um, Moving from that, the second set of people to look at would definitely be the developers, right? So one of the long-standing complaints that the developers have had with the Ethereum network is the really high gas fees. So uh, 
one thing to look at is whether this change to proof of stake system start to move more developers towards building more applications on ethereum or not just yet are we still far away from that uh, and the third set of people would be the average joe you know say somebody who has a small amount of eth in their hardware or software wallet do they need to do something with this change coming in place or uh, nothing changes on their end for now so that's something we should look at and lastly i think it would be interesting to look at the large exchanges like coinbase or binance or uh, even regulators or other government bodies uh, in terms of how they view this change in the network so you know there's many different people in the ethereum ecosystem who would be affected by this change um nikhil do you want to shed some light on that yeah so uh, of the of the groups that you mentioned i think by far the most affected would be the miners the most interested would be the developers the regular users probably are not going to notice any significant change and uh, i count the exchanges and government bodies basically from their perspective also the functioning of ethereum and the use cases for ethereum continue to be the same uh, probably there may be a sigh of relief from the uh, Uh, the environmental agencies because uh, you know of the drop in the uh, mining or uh, the elimination of the mining uh, from it i mean that was sort of the in thing a few uh, months back right there were these different projects who were actually looking for these environmental friendly blockchains because you know <laughs> they, yeah, they want yeah uh, absolutely so so there definitely that's one one thing that uh, has been kind of a big criticism for most of the proof, proof of work chains so by moving to proof of stake basically uh, ethereum reduces the amount of uh, energy it doesn't go to zero though uh, it still is <laughs> going to be some amount of energy uh, and right. uh, they've got uh, a lot of validators as well right so yeah i guess they say that it reduces by like 99.5% or something Yeah so but but the 0.5% also is not zero right so it's it's sure. a, it's not like you're going to suddenly kind of uh, go to no impact on the environment at all from the perspective of the developers also there have been a couple of myths about the merge that need to be kind of broken i guess uh, one perception has been that uh, somehow by moving to proof of stake uh, we will immediately see a drop in the gas fees right right and uh, i don't think that's the case uh, the main work that was done i think for uh, reducing the volatility of gas fees uh, is uh, was done uh, as part of eip 1559 which was basically implemented in the last uh, hard fork i think it was called the london hard fork and uh, that uh, addressed the uh, volatility of gas fees it doesn't actually address the high, uh, the expense or the perceived high gas fees problem right uh, and the main reason for that is simple uh, fees gas fees basically are driven by uh, demand so moving after from proof of work to proof of stake you still have the same amount of demand and uh, you don't have a significant change in the throughput because uh the the rate at which beacon chains basically uh finalize blocks essentially is uh, uh around the same as what is currently the uh, finalization of blocks right. in uh, proof of work 
I believe it's it's maybe like a one second shorter or something. Yeah, so it's not it's not a significant amount, right? When you take thirteen seconds and twelve seconds, or right, uh, it's it's in the same ballpark. It's not like it's going to be an order of magnitude less or something. So uh, again, so that means that obviously you're still going to be processing the same number of transactions, and so obviously the the demand is not decreased so obviously there's going to be competition right right the main uh change that is predicted to kind of fix this particular issue would be the whole sharding change that that's coming down after the merge right so after the beacon uh chain merge and the proof of stake the move to proof of stake the next big uh feature that the ethereum developers are working on is the idea of sharding and uh, that basically is focused on increasing the scale and increasing the number of uh, transactions that uh, the uh, chain can handle. And theoretically, that should reduce fees. When you couple it with yet another change that they're working on, which is the whole level two and transaction rollups, right? right. So transaction rollups are a thing already that are there uh, in custom forms by various. Uh, side chains and uh, uh, on Ethereum itself, but they want to move that now to become a core feature of Ethereum as well. So this, these two things would, uh, these two things would basically be the main thing that uh, I think developers would be looking forward to. Right. I believe, like from what Vitalik has been saying recently about the merge. So the merge is just the first step, like you mentioned. You know, merging of the existing proof of work chain with the Beacon chain. And uh, then he has thrown out some of these other changes like the surge, verge, purge, and then the splurge. So surge is like exactly what you mentioned. It is the implementation of sharding, which will enable these cheap layer two blockchains uh, and lower the cost of rollups and uh, make it easier for the validators to run nodes, right? And, you know, it's only at that point, you know, once the sharding is successfully implemented, uh, you can expect uh, transactions per second of 100,000 or so, which is... Uh, orders of magnitude uh, greater than what it stands at currently, which is 15 to 20, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, then, you know, the next stage that uh, he mentions is the verge, which has something to do with uh, Merkle trees, which is similar to Merkle trees. And it basically will allow the node owners to become stateless clients, wherein uh, they're not required to store heavy amounts of data on their hard drive, like, like you currently have to do as a node owner. The next step would be purge which refers to removal of uh, the old network history. Uh, and, you know, this would further reduce the amount of space one needs to have on their hard drive by uh, not requiring them to store the entire history of transactions of the blockchain. And the splurge, I guess, it's just a fun term that he threw out here, which, which refers to all the other fun stuff. So, so that's the, so like you mentioned, you know, merge is just the beginning. It's just the very first step and all the increasing of TPS and lowering of gas fees and all that is still uh, a fair bit away. Yeah. So, so to go come back to the stakeholders piece. So, the main stakeholders that are going to get uh, that are impacted by this whole thing are the miners. And uh, you had pointed out, you know, there's no clarity in what they're going to do, whether they're going to move to other other chains or not. Uh, one interesting kind of uh, data point that you can look at is uh, that recently the price of GPUs has started coming down. Right. So there were uh, there was a global chip shortage and GPUs were uh, heavily overpriced. In fact, they were getting sold uh, in the black market for or the gray market for 
several times their sticker price. He couldn't find first-party uh, availability for GPUs. Uh, but now suddenly that's all gone down. And uh, uh, I kind of think that that might be because of miners uh, not ordering any new ones because they, they know that, okay, their biggest, one of the bigger blockchains are going away, uh, especially given that uh, a big component of the mining in uh, Ethereum is done using GPUs. Uh, right. So that's one aspect. The other aspect, obviously, is that the existing hash power, that would get moved away. One interesting consequence of proof of work going away is in the uh, the monetary model of uh, Ethereum. So uh, Ethereum has been as a currency an inflationary currency so far, right? Because uh, the amount of Ethereum that has been uh, rewarded or that can be mined that has been mined is not going down. It's basically kind of constant. So you have this constantly increasing uh, number of rewards. That kind of is going to go away mainly because the amount of rewards that will be provided to validators is going to be significantly less than the rewards that are given to Ethereum miners uh, for the validation of the blocks. So when you take away that, again, that's another 90% of the new Ethereum uh, that gets mined uh, that's going to that's going to go away. And basically, you combine that with the fact that with uh, EIP-1559, we've got this whole idea of burning part of the fees uh, for every block that is uh, earned, uh, that is validated. We actually kind of reach a point where Ethereum, if you look at the numbers, it kind of goes into almost deflationary uh, economics, right? It goes, it goes into the deflationary side rather than the inflationary side. So, yeah, so that's, that's definitely uh, an interesting side effect of uh, the whole mining going away. And uh, as far as miners basically redeploying, if I were the miner, basically, I would just look at wherever I could get some money out, out of my equipment, right? Because uh, I've already bought the hardware. It's not that it is not unexpected. And I suspect that's why the price of GPUs came down because they were expecting this to happen. But... Uh, uh, it definitely uh, it's a big hit in terms of the uh, rewards uh, or returns that they can get because the other the other blockchains are not as uh, big or as profitable as uh, Ethereum might have been, right? So right. Uh, you can go to ETC like you mentioned, and I think there is uh, also some talk about a group of miners basically a hard forking Ethereum and creating an Ethereum PW or ETHPW or something like that, uh, which is like Ethereum with proof of work. Right. But yeah, that's that. I don't think that's a very serious effort, but maybe, you never know. Yeah, I think there was some pushback on that from the ETC community as well, so as to not confuse <laughs> the, the miners into, you know, two or exactly. three different directions. So I, yeah, it'll probably not. Yeah. So uh, one important thing that uh, we need to, uh, regular users who've got ETH in their wallets need to understand is that this changes nothing for them, right? They don't have to worry about Ethereum disappearing or anything that they need to do. Their wallets will continue to work as, they, as they're supposed to. If they are running nodes, their nodes will also run the way they're supposed to. The main 
people that need to upgrade would be uh, the people who are uh, shifting from mining into uh, the whole validators group because they'll have to change their software. There is uh, three software tools that need to be used for uh, becoming a validator and uh, running as a validator. So that's all. That's all the main audience uh, for the beacon change mergers. To step back a little bit and kind of talk about what actually is going to happen. So the beacon chain. It was started last year, right? So this is the idea essentially was that, okay, we will start this fork of the Ethereum ledger, right? And take a fork of the Ethereum ledger and have like this one-way bridge where people could lock, lock up their ETH on the main the main uh, Ethereum uh, fork, uh, which is the proof-of-work fork, and then take that ETH over to the beacon chain and uh, basically... Uh, run validators on the beacon chain. So the whole point uh, for the last year, what what has been happening is been a bunch of people and a bunch of companies uh, have come over and set up validators. And uh, essentially, what the validators have been doing is uh, validating the presence of each other and the you know the addition of a validator. All all the transactions that are related to the mechanism of validating, right? So they basically right. had blocks where you know, they'd say, okay, fine, a few validators joined, a few validators left. Uh, this validator has uh, uh, committed certain thing, uh, certain amounts, locked up certain amount of ETH, whatever, right? And these validators have left and they they, they, they get their ETH back or whatever. So the, the whole point has been that, okay, this would be like this trial run. And uh, once it is stabilized and kind of uh, the idea essentially is that the beacon chain and the main chain will basically get merged so that the beacon chain software would be running on the main chain uh, ledger and kind of validating the transactions there. So basically the main uh, Ethereum blockchain now basically becomes two pieces, right? So you'll have one part, which is the execution of code and uh, the transaction uh, creation of transactions and the running of smart contracts and that's the execution of uh, of work of things on the blockchain and then there is this other set of software which is basically involved with taking those transactions grouping them into blocks and validating them and validating the block and then reaching consensus on the uh, on the blocks that have been proposed by the validators and the whole thing around you know adding yourself as a validator, removing yourself as a validator, challenging validators and all of that. So that right. is uh, kind of like the second kind of layer almost that's kind of going to be running. Just a quick question on that. So like uh, during this process, the people who do sign up to be validators like in the, in the past year or so, do they actually get any reward you know for validation or it's just uh, something on the side or which is on this chain which is no they continue to, to get valid uh, so they have been getting uh, so validators gets get reward for uh, proposing and uh, validating blocks uh, so they when their proposed block basically gets uh, added to the chain uh, they get uh, rewarded and that has uh, they also get the fees uh, that uh, uh, that have been the transactions have reserved for the you know adding the transaction into the block 
that that all that is uh, still there uh, they do get that value it's just a smaller amount than what the proof of work miners used to get right right and that will continue to be there in the uh, in the new in the mer- after the merge as well it was there before the merge and it will continue to be there after the merge i believe there is some confusion or, uh, or some discussion about what exactly that will be whether it will be more or whether it will be less or whether it, what it will be but my understanding essentially is that it will be essentially similar to what it was uh, when it was on the beacon chain with the understanding that hey on the beacon chain you didn't have transactions per se right so you couldn't actually get right. fees because there weren't any transactions to get fees from but now when you move into uh, the main chain you do, you do get the fees so basically that means that you know there's a additional incentive <laughs> to continue to be a validator on the main chain yeah so that's that's basically i think what's what's happening on that uh in terms of when this is going to happen uh so i think one of the main things that people want like i said wanted to make sure was that there was a lot of confidence about how the merge will happen what are the sequence of actions to be taken and what are the expected what is the expected behavior of the blockchain what has been happening over the past year has been uh, repeated uh, you know merges between test networks right so you had uh, proxton you had gurley you had uh, you know a bunch of them that that have been used to test this out and i think the last one was gurley or the latest one was gurley and proxton uh so they they were merged recently and kind of tested the merge to uh, the main merge has now become kind of like more final uh because of the success of these uh, merges so people have become quite confident uh about doing this which is why people are like okay this time around it's going to happen uh there was discussions about this since i think march of this year uh and it was originally planned for june but uh, i think there were some challenges in one of the test uh, some of the tests or there was a lack of confidence about it so that's why they kind of took their time so yeah i'm uh, if you ask me i mean it's always kind of going to be an opinion with ethereum it's always kind of hard to give a concrete answer but it looks like this is the most confident people have been <laughs> so far right about about uh, about meeting uh, their deadlines So yeah so that's basically a rough overview of i guess uh, the technical changes that will happen so what do you see happen like right after the merge do you see more developer interest so it's it's interesting so basically uh, what i see i think what is going to happen uh, is that like in all of these hyped up things right there's going to be a surge of uh, there's going to be a spike in the value of ethereum well as soon as this happens successfully if it doesn't happen successfully obviously it's going to go down uh, or it gets delayed it's going to go down but uh, there's going to be probably there is a lot of people or punters that are kind of like waiting on the sidelines for this to happen so they have uh, you know they can they can basically try to uh, buy and uh, get people to <laughs> buy on the, on the rise or something right, right? so you'll have uh, that happening uh, in terms of the developers themselves honestly i don't think there's going to be that much of a difference uh, that they will perceive they will have to upgrade their tools and their tooling because 
they'll have to uh, if they're running their test network now their test network needs to use proof of stake based <laughs> validation uh, but this is not anything new because uh, in ethereum they used that in during development a lot of developers what they do is they kind of like create these uh, almost like dummy miners right so they, they they don't want to go through the hassle of doing mining and all that so they'll create what are known as proof of authority test blockchains or development uh, versions of blockchains so the consensus mechanism essentially changes but for the vast majority of the smart contract development or the dap development that really doesn't matter because that's the that's not a layer that they really touch mm-hmm. the main area where i think the developers were expecting or hoping to get some good news would be the the fee thing uh the transaction fee thing uh but yeah i don't see that really going to be meaningfully changing until uh you know level uh, the roll ups and sharding come through and uh, sharding i believe it's not been proven yet right i mean it's still in theory and they're still working towards it but yeah so uh but i, I think there's a lot more clarity on how how they're planning to do sharding so i'll be honest uh when they initially introduced sharding i was kind of confused as to how they're going to do that uh because it was not clear exactly so so just to step back a little bit and talk about what a shard uh, what the sharding thing is is right so sharding is actually a database concept uh it's from the back in the day in the relational databases so this is a way for databases to be able to scale by splitting their data uh, amongst multiple servers right so right. instead of having all your all the data in one server and then as the data grows you have to make add more ram and have to add more hard drive and make your cpus faster which is obviously has limits right you can't really do that indefinitely sharding basically what it does is that it says okay fine instead of having one humongous database i'm going to have n different smaller databases all having a piece of the data right this is great until you want to get uh, get access to uh, data that is in multiple places at the same time right or you want to actually update uh, one part of the data but that part changes or is dependent on another part of the data uh, of the database right so these kind right. of transactional things become much more difficult because now you're not talking about one hard drive or one ram you're talking about multiple servers and you're going to have to go across a network and talk to that server and get the data and then compare it and then update it and in the meantime if that server gets updated then you have problems of uh, consistency and all of this stuff right so this is always kind of like this thing and so when uh, they said that okay we're going on going down this path of sharding uh, i was always like okay how uh, is this going to happen the idea i think is that we will have uh, if you remember earlier we talked about beacon chain being kind of like the separate chain uh, right that is only handling the consensus and it will ma- the managing of the validators in it and all that right right so uh if we go into actually how the proof of stake function works right in terms of the validators and all that 
what you do basically is that you have a large number of validators that have signed up to Ethereum, right? So they are they all signed up to become validators on Ethereum. But it it is not simply enough to kind of say, okay, here's my 32 ETH. Uh, I'm a validator now. Mm-hmm. No, you have to basically, so add, giving the 32 ETH basically adds you to the queue uh, of validators. You also need to actually run these three, three. Uh, I think there are three software tools that you need to run in order to kind of function as a validator, right? Mm-hmm. So this these particular three pieces of software would be tied to your uh, 32 ETH. Uh, so they know exactly, you know, it'll be all using the same address and all that. So uh, you have kind of a way of getting this from this queue of validators. A certain number of validators would be picked, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what we do basically is that we take that list of validators and we randomly shuffle it, right? And then the first n number of validators in that shuffle list is given the first block, and the second set is to a second uh, to verify the second block and so on and so forth right so uh, the blocks basically so in 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 the proof of stake thing we have this concept of a block and then there is a uh, epic right so in an epic basically you have a certain number of validators that are active in the epic in the epic basically there are a certain number of blocks that will be verified right so mm-hmm. In, in when you are assigned to the epic, uh, basically you you are kind of randomly split, and you said, okay, this this you this n number would be taking the first block, second block will be taken by this other n number, and all of that, right? And so so this 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 idea of a set of committees of verif- validators that are kind of working on different sets of uh, set blocks in the in the epic, right? And so so that kind of works in our favor when we want to do the sharding, right? So the idea essentially would be that you'd have the beacon chain as this coordinating chain and you have all these shards that are running and the beacon chain basically says, okay, now this random set of validators that might be running in multiple places will be assigned to different blocks in different chains. And so the way uh, a validator kind of uh, yeah, just a quick question. So, uh, would there be some sort of a probability function which takes the weightage of you know how much a validator is taking, right? So, let's say somebody has no. Take- so it's it's a it's a fixed number of blocks, right? So you know it's a fixed number of blocks and a fixed number of validators. So uh, if you are validator, if you are a validator for one epic, you know upfront how many blocks or which block you're going to do, but that will not be the same every time. So you might be in another epic. You might be randomly, you, if you're randomly selected for epic one, doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be there in epic two, right? You might be randomly picked up for epic five, say. And uh, if you're doing block one in uh, epic one, doesn't mean that, okay, in epic five, when you are picked, you will be doing block one, you might be doing block 27, uh, right? So the right. Uh, idea essentially is that this, this randomization function basically makes it so that it's kind of difficult to predict what you're going to be working on, which chain. And uh, the random sampling also uh, means that if you are kind of like a malicious actor, you can't really concentrate 
you, you don't know that you're going to be on a particular chain, right? So if you are in one of the shards and you want to kind of do a 51% attack on that shard or you want to kind of compromise that shard, it's kind of hard to do because you don't know upfront whether you will be assigned to that shard. Right. And there's also a coupling out here in the sense that, okay, if there is a bad block in one of the shards, then the chain as a whole kind of reorgs to avoid that shard, right? So it is thrown out. That means that if there is a smart contract that is running in chain A, say contract A, right. it can rely on contract and that relies on contract B that is running in chain B, right? Mm-hmm. This is kind of like one of the central problems that I was all having with, you know, if you have multiple shards, if if I have a contract that's running on this shard, how, do it, how does it, and that relies on something in another shard, how can you actually com- uh, work, how can they work together? Right. Uh, or how can they know that they, they, there's nothing, uh, one is not misbehaving? Right. You can rely on it because if contract A relies on contract B and contract B misbehaves due to some attack on the chain, the entire history of that chain reverts, right? So all the transactions that contract A actually that misbehaved as a malfunction of contract B also gets reverted, right? So it's kind of uh, like, okay, if there is one attack somewhere here and that that's basically detected that is kind of a there's a malfunction over there the all the transactions that kind of depended on that one would also get kind of reverted right so this is kind of how they're planning to handle the thing now the other one of uh, other problem with this essentially is that how do you kind of scale the validation of compute verification of computation right so validating a blockchain in ethereum basically in there is two components to it right there's a smart contract that is doing some work the some a computation and then there is the data right so the way it traditionally works right now is that you look at the state right that state changes that are made by each computation you run it locally and then uh, if the state changes matches and uh, with what does the state change on the that has been matched by other nodes then you basically say yeah this is a valid block but if you are in one particular shard right you may not have access to all the data that you need to be able to check right and so that is a problem because obviously you're in shard a and then there is this smart contract that or block that you're trying to verify that is dependent on some data that you don't have access to. How do you actually check? Right. So my understanding is that they're planning to look at fraud proofs or ZK snarks, so zero knowledge uh, proofs of computation uh, as a way to kind of uh, scale that aspect of it. So instead of actually going and doing the computation, they expect that when the transaction is created, the GK snark of that particular computation is also made available so that you can check the snark and move on, right? So right. these two kind of things uh, seem to be the main bulwarks on on which basically they want to build uh, the scaling solution. Is this what is going to be the final solution? I'm not sure. Uh, this is the one that I think Vitalik is kind of pushing or maybe he's bullish about because he seems to have written about it relatively i think he wrote about it in 2021 in april Mm -hmm. so yeah after that i guess there will be more uh, other ideas as well but yeah i mean right now i think this is what 
they are looking at uh, yeah. in terms of building this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a very interesting concept. And uh, I, I believe, you know, after the merge happens successfully, the next step would be sharding and, you know, take a much closer. Oh, yeah, look. definitely. I, I'm not sure if it will be sharding first or roll-ups first, but definitely one of those two. And I think the idea essentially is that they want to kind of get that part done by 2023. So looking at this from the larger picture, right, like this is something that the Ethereum community has been looking forward to for a long period of time. And so it's 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 not just something big for Ethereum, but it's actually a, a big development for the crypto ecosystem as a whole. So where do you see, you know, the larger crypto ecosystem move forward, you know, with these changes that Ethereum is going forward with? Like, do you have any thoughts on censorship of crypto? Like, does this make it more vulnerable to be censored? The proof of work versus proof of stake? Like, a lot of Bitcoin proponents would say that, you know, <laughs> uh, proof of work would be harder to censor versus uh, POS, right? So how do you see all of that play out for the larger crypto picture? So so there is a censorship concern because uh, one of the things that I think Vitalik talks about as a plus point of proof of stake is what he calls a social consensus, right? So basically, a classic example, I think recently there was a question that was raised uh, regarding, you know, uh, some department in the US, I, I forget the name right now, going and going after validators, because obviously, since they are uh, attached to addresses, and they can figure out if they can figure out the address, and they happen to be in Americans, they, they, this particular department apparently can ask them to cease and desist or censor or something like that. And I think there was a Twitter poll about it. And one of the things that uh, came out, at least, was that there seems to be a strong opinion that if somebody is doing that, then they need to be uh, kicked out. The validator, you mean? Yeah, the validator would be would need to be kicked out. So there is this kind of community belief that, okay, you cannot, you should not censor somebody. But Correct. again, that's dependent on the community, right? So it's a <laughs> it's a double-edged sword in my opinion because that might be the opinion of the community today, but you'd never know how when that might change, right? So one thing about uh, proof of stake essentially is that you know you have this ability for society or this community of the blockchain to be able to kind of overturn things that have happened. Now, this can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your point of view. But it's not its not like proof of work or Bitcoin where, you know, it's part of the protocol. <laughs> you can't really do anything about it. The flip side of this, obviously, is that uh, there is one part, one aspect to proof of stake, which is powerful in the sense that uh, in proof of work, uh, doing a 51% attack or getting to the 51% of the nodes is a matter of brute force right so you get as many computers as you can or you can compromise as many nodes as you want or become as many civils as you want to get to 51 percent right so there's no and 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 once you get 51 percent you can repeatedly be 51 percent nothing actually happens so suppose you do a 51 percent attack and they are rolled back you can still do it again right or you did once and you can do it again uh in proof of stake on the other hand since you're actually not putting up hardware or resources like that, it's more actual tokens and stake, your stake. So you have to buy your, or get yourself that much stake. 
if you do an attack and you get detected and you get slashed, that entire amount is burnt. So it's no longer available for you. Right. So you cannot do it again unless you go back and then create or recreate or buy up or do something to get back to that particular state. Right. So, right. Uh, so that is hugely more discouraging because it actually involves, you know, it, it, it makes your attack a one-time thing, right? You It's one and done. You you get it done, and if you're successful, that's it. The second time, I mean, they'll, you'll be slashed. Uh, if, you, if you get caught, you can't do it again. You can't try again. Unless, I mean, uh, without actually a significant amount of investment. So whether that is a superior method I don't know. Uh, it depends, right? Uh, one one way of looking at it might be that, hey, if the fact that you got yourself 51% and you did the attack might drop the value of those tokens down so much that you'd be able to do it again if you wanted to. There's a lot more, in my mind, social and community aspects. And it's almost more crypto-economic <laughs> right. uh, than, than, uh, than uh, proof of work. Right, but uh, yeah, it uh, it is well not to put a fine point a point on it. There have been other crypto blockchains that use proof of stake uh, and have survived. One thing that Ethereum did, I think, which was interesting, and and to step back a little bit, apparently moving to proof of stake or using proof of stake was the original plan for Ethereum, and. It wasn't done mainly because uh, with Vitalik and uh, the people who wrote, the founders basically could not actually come up with what they were comfortable with in terms of a proof of stake uh, mechanism. So they went with proof of work. And uh, it has been kind of like this long-term plan for Vitalik to kind of move over, migrate everything to proof of stake. Eventually, when, when the research and when the technology becomes mature enough and apparently he thinks it is mature enough now so maybe there's something that something to that right so we never know all right folks that concludes this episode you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play and spotify also you can learn more about us at bcdialogues.com thanks again for joining see you next time